Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochraleigh.com. Yeah, anyone just feeling God's joy this morning? Yes. So thankful for our, our worship team our sound team, our production team. Can we give it up for all the people that serve every Sunday morning? They really create just an environment for us to encounter joy. Well, if you're joining us for the very first time, my name is Ben Wickle. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for, for worshiping with us. I'm grateful to teach from God's Word this morning, and we're going to be talking about joy. Obviously, you've heard that we're uh, there's a focus this morning on the joy, the joy of the Lord. Now, ha- have you ever met someone who really just oozes joy? I'm not, who's that? Parker is a perfect example. He does. And it's, I'm not talking about that, you know, like f- fake joy or that plastic fantastic. I'm talking about like real joy. You know, this person is really carrying joy when you're around them, and after hanging around them, even for just a few minutes, you're like, I want what they have, right? Like, that's how you know they're carrying joy. And who doesn't want more joy in their lives right now, in this season? Uh, for me, that person that oozed joy was a, na- a man by the name of Papa Kent. Papa Kent. I first met Papa Kent over 10 years ago. I was going on a, a missions trip to South Africa. I had uh, actually dropped out of college, which I don't recommend you guys do, but I, I dropped out of school, and I was with uh, Steve and Brenda, and some of you know Scott and Becky Lycan, uh, Pastors and Boone, Tracy Evans uh, was with us, and we were planning churches, working with local partners in the Mpumalanga district. And we were staying at this house called the Emka House. It was, a, it was a missions base, and it could probably hold maybe like 15, 20 people. And Papa Kent and his, his wife, we called her Mama Shay, they were in charge of just making sure the house was in order. Uh, he had a, a background in hotel management, and Papa Kent was the most joyous person. I remember when I, the first day I met him, he... He's got one of those testimonies, he was sharing his testimony with me, like one of those testimonies where they're like, they were involved with like hard drugs and alcohol and depression, met Jesus and never touched that ever again. I'm like, wow, this is, this is like a living testimony. Well, Papa Kent, he, he was a grandpa, like just big teddy bear type guy, and every morning uh, he would be the first one to wake up. And you knew he was awake because every morning he'd make his way to the kitchen and he would just start singing VeggieTales songs. <laughs> Seven in the morning. Everybody loves a water buffalo. Yours is fast and mine is slow. Without fail, every morning. And at first I'm like, this is, this is like cheese ball. But he's a grandpa and I'd go in there and, and he would just, every morning he'd put his hand on, on my back and he would just be like, God loves you. God loves you. We would go places. We'd run errands. And every cash register clerk, whoever it was, he would be like, can I pray for you? God bless you. And again, at first it was a little awkward to to do this with him. 
but you saw the contagious anointing of joy on them, like impacting people. Like people would start telling their stories and start crying and getting to know Jesus. And I love people like Papa Kent because they remind us, they remind us of who Jesus is. They're a testimony to the church. They're a testimony to the world of what we can have access to. Do you think our world today, our, 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 the country we live in, could use more joy? Past couple years, a global pandemic, a, a lot of political division, an economy that is still reeling in many ways, mental health crisis. I believe that God wants to pour out just incredible, incredible joy, supernatural joy. Uh, I was praying this week, asking the Lord, like, Lord, I, what, what do you want me to share about joy? The Bible has so much to say, and I felt like he wanted me to share these three things. Number one, I feel like he, he wants us to know that he's the happiest, most joyful person in the universe. Number two is that the gospel of salvation, this, this gospel that we preach, is a gospel, of, it's a gospel of joy. It's a gospel of joy. And then lastly, I believe he, he told me that he wants us to be a people that can abide in overflowing joy, even in our trials. I think that's what he has for us this morning. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. God is joy. God is joy. I was doing a, a study yesterday about, I was looking through these, um, how theologians come up with these lists of attributes about God, and there's generally two lists. There's a list of what's called the incommunicable attributes of God. These are the attributes that we don't share. These are like God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's, he's all-powerful. Like, we don't, we don't share those attributes with him. Then there's another list of attributes that are called the communicable attributes of God. And I was actually surprised when I was looking like at all these lists, different theologians, there was a lot of, like, God is love, God is wisdom, God is merciful, God is just. But very, very few lists that I found, I was surprised, said anything about God is joy. Which is interesting considering so much of the scriptures talk about how God is He's joyful. He's happy. Uh, twice in, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul uses the word blessed God. Blessed God. Same word blessed that's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, that word blessed, it literally means, it means happy. He's happy God. He's a happy God. He's not just the source of joy, but he's the perfect, perfect representation of joy. And so what if our lack of joy that we experience as believers, what if it's tied to the lack of heart-level revelation of him being joyful and happy? Now, I imagine that most of us here, believers, Christians, we have this conceptual acknowledgement. Yeah, God is joyful. God is joyful. But what I want us to do is I want us to slow down and envision, think about your walk with God, your walk with our Heavenly Father. Is it marked by joy? When you pray to Him, do you envision a, a God that smiles, he's that He's gleefully excited to spend time with you? Is that your typical interaction with God? Are your encounters 
marked with this radiance of his presence of joy. For most of my Christian journey, I, and even right now, even, even in my life today, I struggle with this, this, this view of God as joy. I'm, and I imagine a lot of you grew up in, in a similar Christian upbringing where, where God, particularly the Father, was portrayed as uh, this, this courtroom scene. God, this, the Father, is the judge. Jesus, the defense lawyer. Satan, the prosecutor. Our fate's in the balance, and we, Jesus is for us. And, but God, is, he's, he's a judge, and he's, kind of, he's got this sterile look on his face. He's, he's indifferent. He's waiting to hear the case. And, and truth be told, there's been a lot of theological ink spilled in good ways, talking about how God is a judge. So I'm not putting that aside, but in my upbringing, it was so emphasized as God is the judge that it was at the neglect or any reference that Jesus and God the Father, he's happy. That he, like he's gleefully, he gleefully wants to spend time with me. I didn't, I didn't have that revelation. And ironically enough, it wasn't until I, I got to, to Africa and met people like Papa Ken and who began to share that he's a, he's a papa. He, he, he wants to meet with you. He's delighted when, he, when you pray to him. He's not this quasi-satisfied, let me, no, 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 that's not who he is. Let me read a couple scriptures. Galatians 5.22, this one's very familiar to us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What does it say next? Joy. And it lists a few other fruits of the Spirit. So is it right to say that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is joy? Absolutely. We read this already, Psalm 16.11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. What do we find in the presence of God? Not just fragments of joy. We find fullness of joy. Psalm 4, 7. You have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. Who gives us more joy? God gives us more joy. God is the source of joy and happiness because he is joyful and happy. So when you start to pray, the next time you pray, the next time you journal, the next time you open up your Bibles, whatever it is, that you, the way that you connect with God, I want you to envision a God, a Father, who's just so excited to meet with you. If we want to move beyond a life of fragments of joy into a lifestyle where we are abiding in his overflowing joy, we have to be convinced of who he is and resting in that. So before we move on to the, the, the next point, I have an exercise. It's a, a contemplative, refl uh, scriptural reflection on, on, a, on a scripture that we're going to read. And it's straight from Luke 15. I'm going to actually declare this over you. And I'm going to invite you guys, you guys just stay where you're at, be still. I'm going to have you close your eyes. And I'm going to read a passage from the, the story, this famous story called The Prodigal Son. I think it should be called The the prodigal father, the word prodigal means he's extravagant. The father in that story, is, he's so extravagant. And as I'm reading this, this passage of scripture, I've paraphrased it in such a way that I've uh, changed the pronouns to, to be as if God is addressing you. All I want you to do is just be still, 
close your eyes, and I want you to envision this is the Father talking to you. Does that make sense? All right. So let's close our eyes. I'm going to read from Luke 15. This is the Father speaking to us. But while you were a long way off, I saw you, and great compassion swelled up inside me, and I ran and embraced you and kissed you. And though you said to me, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called a child, I said, child, you are home now. I have a gift for you. Turning to my servants, I said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I will place it on their shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of their royal identity, and I will put it on their finger. Bring out the best shoes. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For you, my beloved child, you were once dead, but now you are alive. You were once lost, but now you're found. Let us celebrate together with overflowing joy. And just, just stay there just for a minute. Thank you, Father. Amen. Once we've settled in our minds the truth that God is joy, we then have to ask ourselves this question. How does a joyful God that's incredibly joyful, how do we reconcile that with the truth that we're sinners and we live in this broken, sinful world? How do we reconcile that? And that leads us to point number two. And that is that the gospel brings us joy. The gospel brings us joy. The gospel makes possible everything that we just described in point number one. And what I want to do is I want to read just got three, actually got a few passages of scripture. And I want, you to, I want us to pay attention to how the gospel, that, that message of the gospel of salvation, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, resurrecting how it connects to joy. Luke 2, I referenced this one earlier, 8 through 11. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah 52, 7. This verse gets re- is quoted in Romans, by the way, by the Apostle Paul. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of, say it with me, happiness. 
who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How do both of these verses describe the gospel of salvation? What's the title they're given? The gospel of joy. It's the gospel of happiness. And what do we have to be happy about? That 2,000 years ago in the city of David, a Savior was born, Christ our Messiah, the one in whom our people have waited for generations, our hero, the one who would deliver us, who would deliver us from the source of all pain, all brokenness, all evil, all injustice, all sin. Now let's pause there. Let that sink in. Don't let the over-familiarity of the gospel lose its impact. We remind ourselves that you and me, we were born into sinful, selfish, broken natures. We were both the victims and the perpetrators of the evil in the world that we see. We both have the cancer of evil, but we also were spreading it. We were guilty. We missed the mark, enslaved to sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. We were destined to an eternity without God. And not just a futuristic death, but a death that was already at work in our own souls or minds or emotions. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Let me read one other verse to you. This was, I've actually, it's been read a couple times already. This is my favorite psalm in the entire Bible. Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh will dwell secure. (laughs) That sounds great. I want my flesh to dwell secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You may known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be thinking, Ben, that's a wonderful verse, but what does that have to do with the gospel? (laughs) I didn't realize this until this week that Uh, This verse that I read, Psalm 16, it's quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted by the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit has descended upon the church, and Peter, along with the leaven, they're they're standing at the upper room, and he is beginning to preach to the the thousands, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Peter continues, Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This God, Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses. Peter preaches bare-bones gospel. Jesus died, he rose again, and to validate the gospel, he quotes this passage from, from Psalm, Psalm 16, fullness of joy in his presence. He uses this passage. Speaking of the fullness of joy that's found in God's presence, Peter is saying, he's saying, David, he foresaw it. Jesus sealed it and fulfilled it so that we can inherit it. David foresaw it. He just he was tasting of it. Jesus sealed it with his death and resurrection so that you and I can inherit it. Jesus' and God the Father, Holy Spirit, their desire that you and I would dwell in his presence with joy is so important to him that he shed his blood for it. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I believe Peter is saying. Amen? Wow. So we've talked about how God is joy. The revelation, I mean, it's got to start there. Foundation, the nature of God. God, it has to begin. He's a joyful, joyous, happy God. And we can experience his nature and partake of it because of the gospel made possible, that we can now have access to the fullness of joy. And that brings us to point number three. Joy is the therapy for trials. I said it earlier that, that I believe that the Lord wants to pour out upon us as a people, yes, this church and the church around the world, a supernatural baptism, an immersion of his joy. And joy is the therapy for trials. So I want to talk about how we can practically, how do we, like, let's lift up the hood of joy. Like, how do we walk in abiding joy, overflowing joy, especially in trials? Because that, that is, like, that's hard. Now, we know the Bible says a lot about hardships, trials. There's so much in the Bible that talks about that. But I was fascinated about how many verses talk, they linked the two together. They linked trials with joy. There's so many verses that link lament with happiness. They link brokenness and pain and suffering with rejoicing. James 1. I'm just going to spout these out. James 1. You've heard of this. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Hebrews 12, I mentioned this earlier. This is Jesus' darkest day. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Nehemiah, that famous verse in Nehemiah that we love to quote about the joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I love that verse. It's wonderful. What we don't know is the context of that verse is Nehemiah, Ezra, they're reading the law, and the people of God are grieving and of their brokenness, of their sin, and, and the, the leaders are like, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 35 talks about how there's weeping and mourning in the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, we are sorrowful, 
yet always rejoicing. There's a scriptural connection and correlation between trials and joy, between pain and rejoicing. And this should tell us something. While lament, grieving, and repenting, they're appropriate, they're necessary, and they're helpful. They're a part of the process. Counting it all joy, learning to rejoice always, practicing joy are also necessary for becoming more than a conqueror. They're necessary for overcoming our trials, experiencing breakthrough. I'll say that again. Lament, grieving, mourning, repenting, it's appropriate. We need to do that. That usually happens at the beginning of our trials and usually in the middle of our trials. And if we're honest, throughout all of our trials, even at the end. But the scriptures are telling us, count it all joy, learning to rejoice, practicing joy. That's actually the therapy that gets us through the trials to experience breakthrough. And when I say breakthrough, I'm not talking about the the changing of your external circumstances. I'm talking about the internal harmony, alignment with the presence of Jesus where his majesty is reigning supreme and you're convinced of his goodness. That's the internal breakthrough we're after. But I get it. Rejoicing in our weakness, in our pain, in our negativity is hard. (laughs) It's not pleasing to the flesh. What would we rather do? What's natural? We'd rather complain. We'd rather, I'd rather avoid the pain. I have an avoidance tendency. I'd rather succumb to self-pity. There's, there's fretfulness. There's some of us, we like to just fight back in the flesh. All of that is what we want to do. And the temptation is to put off joy until the circumstance, the negative circumstance changes. Then we rejoice. What we don't realize is that rejoicing is how we get through it. We don't rejoice just because we have joy. We rejoice in order to obtain it. I'll say it again. We don't rejoice just because we have joy. We're we're rejoicing to obtain and pursue joy. But that begs a question. I get it. It's really practical. Pastor Ben, if I'm lacking joy, how can I rejoice? (laughs) How do I actually, what does that look like? Well, the book of Psalms, which I, I heard by someone much smarter than me, said, yeah, it, it's actually 70% lament. The book of Psalms is 70% lament. Shares with us what rejoicing could look like, even when we don't feel like it. There's all sorts of physical outward examples of rejoicing. We lift our hands. We clap. We shout. We dance and we jump. Where's my brother? TJ. He was literally rejoicing earlier during worship. The word rejoice, go look it up. There's a couple words for rejoice in the Hebrew, but one of the literal meanings for rejoice is to jump up and spin around. You were rejoicing, brother. That's what it means. And it it, it reminded me of of Zephaniah 3.17. If, If you want to know what rejoicing looks like, God models it for us. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, he will rejoice over you with gladness, He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt. We get the the word exalt up there. It literally means spin around and dance. That's what he's doing. And TJ, my brother, when you were doing that, I just, I just, I saw you rejoicing, but it, it was you were returning back to him what he's doing for us. 
And I, the, in the Hebrew, there is a bit of a, a violent nature to the, like an just a assertiveness to his, his joy for us. And I was, I was watching you, and I was like, wow, this is intense. My brother's jumping up. But I, I just like, that's Jesus. Like, that's the, that's, that's the way he uh, feels for us. Like, that's the intensity that he feels for us. So when we respond in kind, what happens is there's this deeper intimacy, this heart connection, and in the union, when we, even when we don't feel like it, that's when, the that's when the joy comes. So this is how it works. I'll try to be practical. You're in a trial, financial distress, a job you don't want to be in, a marriage that's struggling, chronic pain. You're in a trial. And we cry out to God because we know we need God. We need strength. Lord, I need strength to get me through this. And what, we really, and what we, I really want is like God just to kind of zap us. I've, I've used the reference like the matrix. Just hook me up and just give me joy. It doesn't work like that. But when we start in that circumstance, when we start breaking the sound barrier and saying, Jesus, I rejoice in you. I rejoice that you're for me. I rejoice that you're in me. I rejoice that you're around me and that you love me. When we, even when, especially when we don't feel like it, in the weakness of that, when we begin to do that, we start becoming more aware of his presence. And his kingdom, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so as we're worshiping him, our awareness of his kingdom begins to spread, and all of a sudden, the, the, the majesty of Jesus will overwhelm the negativity. It overwhelms. The Bible says we magnify the Lord with our thanksgiving. As we're rejoicing and giving thanks, the, the awareness of God's presence increases. And the negativity, we overwhelm. And that's why God's like, rejoice so that you can overwhelm your negativity. And as we begin to manifest his presence inside of us, it begins to ooze out of us. And what started as an act of faith begins to overflow. We're declaring it. This internal transformation begins to change the atmosphere around us. And then there's an anointing. And then other people are like, tell me about the joy that you have. That's how it works. God's natural provision for us in all negative circumstances is joy. So, church, do not put off the very thing that is meant to carry you through it. Let the intensity of your rejoicing match the intensity of your trial. So let's recap. God is joy. It's his nature. Number two, the gospel is the gospel of joy. It brings us joy. It makes it possible to experience his nature. And then lastly, Joy is the therapy for our trials. I want to end well, with a story I heard this week from another pastor, a uh, pastor from Europe, and God often uses this pastor to, to get words for people and, and just to bless people. Well, one day this pastor, was, uh, he was in the airport trying to catch a plane. He was running late, and he just felt like the Lord said, hey, stop, you see that lady right there? I have a word for her, a message. Can you go give it to her? And this guy's like, Lord, I got a plane to catch. And he goes, he feels like he hears the Lord say, I can, I can hold the plane. <laughs> so he 
on his way, he's, he's going up to talk to the lady, and, and he then hears the Lord say, by the way, she's not a believer yet. Okay. So, he, excuse me, ma'am, I feel like I have a message for you. And she says, well, a message from who? Well, the Lord. I'm a Christian, and I feel like I, he wants to share something with you. Okay, well, tell me. She's kind of a little confused, though. Well, ma'am, you've, you've been mourning and grieving for too long. Your son passed away seven years ago, but the Lord wants you to know that he's in heaven with him and that he wants you to experience on earth the same joy that he's experiencing in heaven right now. She's hearing this, and she says, my husband said the same thing to me yesterday. And he goes, well, tell me more. She says, well, he's... He said, honey, you, you need to stop grieving. There's joy for us. We need to get back to that. And they're looking at each other, and the woman says, can you, can you just tell the Lord, okay? And the pastor says, you can tell him yourself, I have a plane to catch. <laughs> True story. I'm going to invite our, our worship team to, to come up front. But... In all seriousness, I, I really believe, in all joyfulness, I really believe that the Lord wants to impart joy this morning. And there's going to there's be an invitation for all of us to, one, if you've never stepped into knowing Jesus as your Savior, there's an invitation for you to say, I want to know this Jesus. He saved me. I want to know this joy. But there's also an invitation this morning that if you're carrying just brokenness and lament and weakness, which are their appropriate things, but you may be going, I, I, I just want to make an exchange. I am ready to rejoice with the Lord because I want, I want the Lord to pour out his joy upon us. You guys can I'll end by saying this. That it was over 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas night, an angel showed up to a people, a people with practically zero political rights, zero economic upside, and generations of prophetic silence. No words from the Lord. You could say that they were religiously, spiritually discouraged and frustrated. And to those people, the Lord sent an angel to say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so this morning, we are echoing those words again, that there's good news for joy for all of us here. I'm going to invite our worship team, or our, our, our lead, lead life group leaders and our elders to come to the front. And there's going to be an invitation. Please come to the front. We want to pray for you. We want to, if you, if you need joy, if you need more joy, like, Lord, I just need more joy in my life, and I, I just need someone to pray for me. I'm struggling. I'm carrying, we want to pray for you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus. You've heard in this message the wonderful gospel of how much he loves us and you're like, I want to experience it. I want to walk into it. I'm going to invite you to come and come pray with someone at the front. But for all of us, let us, let us engage our wills this morning and worship him and rejoice in him.